Praise the Lord, everybody. Okay. It's good to be in the presence of the Lord. Amen. This is my second service of the day. And normally my second service gets over about 8.30 or 9. So I think we got, we got a few moments to go here. And uh, I might get out early. The Lord is good. We had some of you I recognize. Some of you are gracious enough to show up the last couple of days. And uh, some of you weren't. And we should chat about that. <laughs> but uh, I hope we learned some things. And glad that my wife is with me today. This is the beautiful lady that I was talking about. The last couple of days, and she's joined us. She's the one that gets beautifuler and beautifuler. And I guess you had to be there to to know that. Amen. You know the Lord; He knows just what we need, and He knows when we need it. And his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. But it's good to just be able to bring ourselves into his presence and to place ourselves at his feet, as it were, and let him minister to us. And and uh, I, I appreciate this church, appreciate the ministry of this church, give honor to all the the saints and all the ministers, preachers, and your pastor and wife all have been very kind to us in the past. I do uh, represent a, an organization called Daystar Ministries, which is not a TV station, but it does work with uh, individuals, predominantly couples, but not always. We do work with a variety of situations, and this church has been a blessing to us in that regard, and uh, hope that we can forge an ongoing relationship between the two. We need each other. There was a fellow a few years ago that said to the Lord, the Lord came to him and said, where's your brother? And he just sloughed it off. His answering said, how, how do I know? Am I my brother's keeper? And we know what happened to him. And so... We are not responsible for each other's salvation, but we are responsible for each other. Message I want to bring to your hearing today is a message that is for everybody here. If they're not here, then it's not. It could be for them, but they're not here, so it's not for them. There's, there are some times when we get up to preach, we we kind of have some sort of sense that it's for a specific group of individuals or sometimes maybe just for even one person specifically. But there's other times that we know this is something that's good for everybody. This message that I'm going to bring to you uh, this afternoon, I feel like is very foundational. It is a, uh, an elementary or a simple message, and, le- and yet it is extremely complex. And there's times in our, as humans, we try to make the simple difficult. 
We really do. We try to overcomplicate some of the simple messages that are given to us in Scripture. And so, however long that you've been serving the Lord, I, I believe that you are here because there is a measure of faith. There is something within you, within your heart, that, that uh, agrees with the Scripture and desires a closer walk with the Lord. And so, however long you've been serving Him, this is for you. If this is the first time that you've ever come into one of these services, this is for you. If you've been at this all of your life or somewhere in between, I want you to listen to the words, not just the words, but the message behind it. Because what I have found, and I will get to it here in just a moment, but what I have found in working with people is that a lot of Christians really don't believe the message that I'm going to preach. They believe it for everybody else, but they don't believe it for themselves. And so... Here we go. I was on my way home from a men's conference. Um, I think this was a couple years ago. I was in Salem. Normally, I I would just drive by myself because I find out I find that when I go places by myself, I can leave whenever I want to. I can go when I want, stop when I want, leave when I want. All of those things. When I'm with a group, I, I, there's some limitations there. But this this one particular time, I I joined uh, some of the men in our our church, and we we were in the church van. And on the way home from that meeting, there were a few of the men that were talking about different kinds of cuts of meat. And just as an aside here, if you didn't eat before you come to church, you will be hungry by the time church is over, but there'll be time enough to take care of that. They were talking about different cuts of meats and the, uh, the, the way that they would season it. And, and uh, my ears perked up because at home there is a certain piece of furniture that is mine and nobody touches that. And if they do, then we have a situation on our hands. And that is my barbecuer. <laughs> Nobody messes with my barbecuer. And uh, so these, some of these guys who were talking about uh, talking about different cuts that they would barbecue, and one of the, one of them made this statement that stood out to me. He said that cut was so good that it was to die for. It was to die for. Now, I love pecan pie. Hmm. I like I love pecan pie when it's done the right way. I'll clarify. And the right way is the way that my mommy made it when I was growing up. She doesn't make it that way anymore. But I would, I'd always love, I grew up in a preacher's home, lived with preachers all my life. Uh, And uh, I used to love having visiting preachers come because I knew every time there was a visiting preacher, we were going to have dessert. The chances of having dessert without a visiting preacher were pretty slim. So I always loved it when, when guys would come in. We 
spent uh, 10 years up in Calgary, Alberta, my formational years, five to age 15. And uh, I was fortunate to have a lot of, a lot of our um, uh, uh, preachers, national preachers would come up and guys that hold certain positions and whatever. And we, we would look up to them and, and uh, we'd have dessert. And one of the things, one of the desserts that we would have is the pecan pie. And I, as I would remember that and think about that and dwell upon it, I thought myself that that is to die for. Love my mother's pecan pie. I, I've heard that idiom, and idiom is a word of words that are not always meant to be taken literally. I've heard this phrase mentioned several times during my lifetime, and each time referring to a variety of things. It could be a new suit, it could be a new dress, it could be a new car, it could be an extended vacation, it could be a, a number of things. A while back, it's been a little while now, but there were some kind folks that took my wife and I to dinner. And this, this dinner was somewhat of a celebratory dinner. I, I just completed some extended studies and and uh, uh, finished uh, doing everything that was required for my PhD and these kind folks uh, knew that and so they took us to dinner. And I did something that I have never done in my life and may never do again. But I did it this time. I ordered the largest, the most tenderest, the most succulent filet mignon with a baked potato that was loaded with butter and sour cream and bacon and some cheese that was melting on top of it. They set that in front of me. And I must say, folks, that meal was to die for. When I gently placed that first bite of steak into my mouth. It was like the world stopped spinning. <laughs> and it stood at attention. There were some other folks at the table with me, my wife being one of them, and the kind folks that were footing the bill. They were there, but for a moment, it was just me and the Lord and my steak. Everybody else, they were doing their thing and talking and, and whatever. But for, just for a moment, I understood what it was like to be caught away up to the seventh heaven. That, that meal, just the thought of it, the memory of it, is to die for. In researching this particular saying, this idiom, to die for, I couldn't find any origination or history about it. Couldn't find any. Uh, couldn't find who said it first and why they said all those things. But I did find some definitions. McGraw Hill Dictionary of American Idioms and Phrasal Verbs says this about that idiom to die for. It says, and I quote: "Important or desirable enough to die for. Something that's worth dying for. In other words, this chocolate cake is to die for." Or we had a beautiful room at the hotel and the service was to die for. Cambridge Dictionary of American Idioms says, and I quote, extremely good. We had an apple pie and it was to die for. Or he had a smile that was to die for, unquote. And uh, then lastly, Cambridge Idioms Dictionary, the second edition says, 
If something is to die for, it is extremely good. The weather's fantastic, the people are warm and friendly, and the food is to die for. Or she's a beautiful looking girl with a voice to die for, unquote. To be able to attach that phrase, that idiom, to die for to something, it's got to be something that is extremely special. It's got to be something that is way above the norm. It's not just your average everyday meal that you would go to and have or purchase or or whatever. Uh, I like chocolate cake, but not every chocolate cake is to die for. I've been to some nice hotels and I've had, I've experienced some nice service at times in, in my life, but not every experience has been to die for. I've seen people smile, but not every smile has been to die for. I've heard some great singing, but not every voice has been to die for, especially when I join in. So something's got to be the creme de la creme to qualify for this phrase to die for. It's got to be five stars. It's got to be beyond in order to qualify something to die for. Some of you could recount, if we wanted to take the time to go around the room, you could recount some things and and uh, you could bring some memories of something that, that you may be thinking of right now that was something that you experienced in your life that was to die for, that would qualify for this phrase. But as I sometimes tend to do, I contemplated upon this for a few moments. And I thought about each of these things. And I added a little dose of reality. And I wondered really if any of these Items that I've mentioned here this afternoon were uh, of such extreme value that I actually would die for them. I've already admitted I love my mother's pecan pie, but not enough to give my life for it. As much as I do like it, if it was a piece of that pie or my life, you can have the pie, I'll take my life. I wouldn't literally die for it. I'd like a new suit, but not enough to die for one. I'd, I'd, I'd like a new car, but not enough to die for one. I'd like to have one of those extended vacations, but not enough to die for one. And as much as some of you and I have been salivating for a few moments over the memory of that juicy, tender, succulent filet mignon with the loaded baked potato... In reality, there's no way that I would die for that. Chocolate cake's not worth dying for. Staying in the nice hotel's not worth dying for. Having a a nice, somebody give you a nice smile, not worth, not literally worth dying for. Hearing the nice voice sing or the soloist, uh, whether it's in person or on the stereo, not enough. It's nice, but not, not literally nice enough to die for. So the question that I, I would pose to you awesome people here this afternoon is what is worth dying for? Is there anything that is literally worth dying for? Romans 
chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says this. It says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have in this country a, a, a group of individuals. They, were, they are referred to as the secret service. And uh, these individuals, they are tasked to protect the life of somebody that holds a specific position within our government. And that person is supposed to, if the uh, uh, opportunity comes, they are supposed to place themselves between that person that they are protecting and danger. They are to literally die for that person to protect them if need be. Members of our armed forces, they will die for a cause. They'll die for freedom. Many, many, some of you may be related to some that have given their life. They have died so that we can have the liberties and enjoy the freedoms that we do. But very rarely will a person die for another person. When the position or the cause has been removed. Sometimes in the heat of the moment a spouse or a parent might sacrifice their life. But what Paul is saying here is that Christ thought the ungodly are to die for. You don't have to get good for God to love you. Paul said that when you were at your weakest, when you were at your lowest, he said that Christ died for you. And Paul, Paul wrote much of the New Testament, and uh, he used some very descriptive words in uh, one of his letters to the Corinthians. If we were to take some of those words that he used, some of those terms, uh, and uh, marry it together with this, these verses in Romans, we could say that Christ thinks that the fornicator is to die for. We could say that Christ thinks idolaters are to die for, that Christ thinks that adulterers are to die for, that Christ thinks that that those that practice sexual deviancy of whatever form are to die for, that Christ thinks the thief is to die for, and that he thinks the greedy person is to die for, and that he thinks the drunkard is to die for, and, and the abusive individual is to die for, and that Christ thinks that that those that cheat people are to die for. And I want to know, how in the world can that be true? 
In my humanity, I don't comprehend that. That's not, that's not what we do with those kinds of people. There's certain places that we have for many of those that are found guilty of those things. And, and we don't, we don't, we tend to shy away from them in reality or in life. We try, tend to uh, put some walls between us and between them. So how in the world can, can an adulterer be of greater value than one of those large, juicy, tender steaks with that loaded baked potato? I want to tell you how all of those awesome things that I previously mentioned, I enjoy every one of them myself. I, 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 I'm drawn to them, but every single one of them are going to rot. Every single one of them are going to rust. Every single one of them are going to be worthless at some point in life. They're just going to be a memory. But the fornicator, the adulterer, the, the idolater, the sexual deviant, the thief, the greedy, the drunkard, the verbally abusive individual, the all, all of these have a soul that's going to live forever. It's going to live forever. And Christ puts a high value on every one of these individuals. It's a high value. So high is the value of the ungodly. So high is the value of the sinner that in the midst of their act of sin, Christ looks on them and he loves them. He doesn't like what they're doing, but he loves them. Christ looks at the, the abuser while he or she is in the very act of abusing and he loves them. Well, they are causing all the damage and all the havoc uh, that will live, no doubt, for generations. Potentially, Christ still loves that person. He sees them as somebody to die for. Christ looks at the person that's cheating uh, on their spouse. And while they're in the act of actually cheating on their spouse, Christ sees them as somebody to die for. Christ looks at the corporate financier that's swindling the retirement savings out of tens of thousands of people. And Christ says that person is to die for. He looks at the person who tries to live a good and a moral life, but is a sinner. The scripture says that all have sinned and can of the glory of God. Christ says that person is to die for. He looks at the ungodly. He looks at the sinner. And while they are actually sinning, he sees them as somebody to die for. Paul said that some of you fit those descriptions. Others of you may have been described differently, still being ungodly. But Christ looked and looks at you even now. And he sees you. He sees your past. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. He knows more about you than anybody else would know on this earth. Christ sees you and he looks at you and he says, you are to die for as humans, we can't comprehend that. As humans, we struggle with that sometimes. How is that possible? This person is extremely unlovable, and yet Christ sees them as somebody that is to die for. We understand and we know that the Scripture says that God's ways are not our ways, and, and that the way that God thinks is not the way that we think. But to God, 
You are important. You may not be important to yourself. You may not feel like you're important. But to God, you are important. You are somebody to die for. To God, you are desirable. To God, you are somebody that he loves. To God, you are to die for. Simply put, God loves you, period. He loves you, period. And we might say, but you don't understand. But this or but that or let me tell you about this. And I would say that does not matter. God still loves you. He loves you. And to you, he would die for. In fact, he did. There's nothing. There's nothing that you and I can do to earn his love. There's there's nothing that you and I can do to stop his love. Sometimes in life we try to earn, we, we try to work, we try to earn more favor with God, or we try to earn his love, and we think that if we can be more faithful that surely he'll love us more. We think that if we'll stop sinning that he'll love us more, that if we sacrifice greater that he'll love us more, that if we give more money that he'll love us more, that if we smile more, if we turn the other cheek, if we knock on more doors, then, then surely God will love us more. But that is wrong, 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 wrong. And sometimes we'll work with humans to some extent, but it does not work with God. There is nothing that you or I can do to increase God's love for you. And there is nothing that you can do, you or I can do, to decrease God's love for you. Now, if if we went around the room and asked, do you believe that? Chances are we would say yes, and in our minds we would believe it when it deals with everybody else. We know that God loves the person on the other side. We know that God God loves the person next to us on the pew or some other pew. But does he love me? I, I work with a variety of individuals. But everybody that I work for, or work with, I work for too. Everybody that I work with, they have... A basis of an understanding of who God is. They consider themselves to be a Christian. Some of them have been serving God for long, have served God for longer than I've been alive, which is a long time. And yet, when I ask this question, when I ask them, "Do you believe that God loves you?" I don't always wave my finger like that. But I ask the question. And it's usually at a very sensitive moment. And I ask that. Do you believe that God loves you? I'm not talking about everybody else. I'm not talking about the other people that are part of the situation. But do you believe that God loves you? And invariably, there's some silence that takes place. 
and I watch them and I begin to see the eyes missed up I begin to see in the corners of the eyes a little rivulet that starts coming down. I see their hand rising up to try and wipe it away, try to rub it away. I see the the sensitivity of the moment and and what inevitably happens almost 100% of the time, Brother Brock. I get the answer, no, I do not believe that God loves me. And the first time that happened, I was confounded. How can this be? You've been serving God for years. And yet it has happened over and over and over and over and over and over again. When people are really honest uh, with, with themselves and honest with me, they answer that question. No, I struggle to believe that. I really don't believe that. And so what I said at the beginning was the understanding of this is extremely foundational. We, we, we may be all have all kinds of, of, uh, uh, of value in this life. We may have all kinds of talent. God may have smothered you with all kinds of abilities but unless you get this simple understanding which is extremely complex for the human mind to understand that whatever your life has been God loves you God loves me until we can get to that understanding We have limited significantly the capabilities of our Creator and what He wants to do in us and through us. Wherever we end up in eternity, whether it's heaven or hell, it's going to have nothing to do with God's love for us. Our eternity has to do with our obedience. Or disobedience to God. But wherever we end up, God still loves us. We go to heaven, God loves us. We go to hell, God loves us. Whatever we do, that's a given. God loves us. Our salvation is dependent upon our obedience or our lack thereof. When we say something is to die for, as humans, we don't mean it literally. It's an idiom. It's a phrase that we attach to something that, that is not to be taken literally. We don't mean that. But, but about 2,000 years ago or so, when Christ looked forward in time, and he saw your face, and he saw your name, and he saw your life, he said, you, my child, you are to die for. And the difference is is that he meant it literally. And so he did. Christ endured the pain of the cross because you are to die for. Christ endured the embarrassment of the cross because you are to die for. Christ endured the stripes on his back because you are to die for. Christ endured the thorns digging into his head because you are to die for. He endured the mocking and the jeering of the crowd because you are to die for. So the question that I have for all of us in the house this afternoon, this early evening is, what are you going to do with that understanding? Can you accept 
God's unconditional love for you? Can you accept the fact that God loves you irregardless of anything? We all have our buts. We all have our you don't understands. All of those things I respectfully say are irrelative when it comes to the love of God. Yeah, they impact who we are. They impact our past. They impact our future. They impact our present. But they do not impact whether God loves us or not. So can you accept his love? Will you accept God's love for you? I want to tell you that God loves you just as you have been and as you are today. He does. And he loves you too much to leave you as you are today. Let me say that again. He loves you just as you have been and as you are today. But he loves you too much to leave you as you are today. And if we, will, if we would just uh, embrace this simple yet complex, humanly complex idea and understanding from the word of God that God loves me, if we would let him love us, the, the, the value that that would bring, the change that that would bring in our life, regardless of how long we've been serving the Lord, that kind of understanding sets a whole lot of junk free. The understanding, the knowledge... The acceptance of the idea that God loves me. I want to tell you today that God wants to heal. God wants to mend. God wants to soothe. He wants to wrap his arms around everyone that is here today. He wants to supply your need. He wants to do all of these things and more. So what holds him back? only one that holds him back is me is you by not allowing him to do what he would desire to do in us stand with me if you will let me ask you a couple more questions We'll wrap this up this afternoon. I want to ask you if you will allow God's love to penetrate the deepest parts of who you are today. Will you allow His love to penetrate those areas that you have cordoned off for however long? Will you allow Him to come in and and and? place some some of that balm of Gilead that the scripture talks about, that soothing, healing touch, that, that, that uh, uh, a love that flows from Calvary's cross that is available to every one of us today if we will simply let it happen. I'll tell you, God's the healer, but healing hurts. you've ever had any physical damage done to your anatomy there's some time that is involved in the process of healing there's a lot of healing virtues that have been placed within the body you come out of surgery or whatever there's some healing that takes place some time that we gotta uh, uh, convalesce 
And uh, that's not always the easiest thing to go through. There's some pain that's involved in, in healing. And it's the same way with the soul. It's the same way with the heart. Same way with the emotions. Same way with things that have been there from the past. Whether we're responsible for it or not. Those things are, are there. And uh, we, 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 what happens is as humans we take ownership of those things. We don't want anybody dealing with them because we, we understand the, the pain that comes as a result of that. And we don't understand what would happen on the other side if we let that go but Jesus is here today and his love is more than capable of meeting any need that we would have in our heart in our life so will you respond to his love to his word there is There's no question about God loving us. There's there's so much in the Word that lets us know that. I'm going to respond to His love, then there's some reciprocation that's going to take place. I start loving Him. We learned the last couple days that love's not the feeling, love's in the doing. I start loving Him. The way I prove that to him is I start, I, I, I obey him. I obey his word. My love to him is shown through my obedience to him. But but it's it's not that way the other way around. He just, he loves us whether we obey him or not. He loves us whether we walk out of here the same way we walked in or not. He loves us whether we open ourselves to him or not. He just simply loves us. As we would close this afternoon, I would ask everybody in the house, I don't know what you normally do on Sunday, but uh, if you would allow me to do this, uh, I'd just like everybody in the house just to come to the front area here. I want us to spend some time, spend some time in the presence of the Lord, just me and Him, just you, you and Jesus, and and, and just talk, begin to talk to Him and communicate with the Lord, and, and uh, whatever transpires, whatever conversation transpires between you and Him, just understand that Christ loves you regardless. There's no ands, ifs, or buts anymore. There's nothing that, that can stand in the way of His love because he, he simply loves you. You are to die for. Your value is so high. Your your value is, is, is out of this world, so to speak. And Christ sees every one of us here today and says you're the love for. Can we talk to Him? Can we spend some time with Him this afternoon? Can we open our heart to Him? Can we let some of those walls down, open some doors, and allow Jesus to come in and to minister to some of those areas that we've hidden from him understanding that there's no condemnation since we're in Christ Jesus but his love reaches out to us if we can let him take care and cover all of those things with the blood of the cross and and just uh, submit ourselves to his love and leave a transform a changed individual not by our power not by our wisdom but by his power by his spirit we let that happen today Lord I pray right now that your word that your presence your spirit would work its way into the heart of every individual here today that every response would be open to you every mind would be open to you every heart would be open to you God this is a, I understand it's a simple message but sometimes we overcomplicate things I understand
mind that your love for me, that, that to, in my mind or myself, that to, for me, you, you died for me. And not just me, but every individual here, to, uh, we, are, we have high value to you. I, I know that your word says that, but let that message find a place within our heart. Let our belief be strong in that, God. Take away our unbelief. Remove the unbelief from our heart and our mind. Transform each one today, Lord, by your power, by your grace, by your love. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's continue to reach out to God. Let's just talk to the Lord. Let's love the Lord for a few moments. Let's, let's respond to that touch. Let's respond to that, that love today. Praise your name, Lord. Praise your name.